0: Kramer, welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Can Washington pull down Wall Street? These days, the answer is yes, particularly going into the weekend. Hate him or like him, President Trump is creating a level of uncertainty that breeds selling on any rally. As we know, there could be big news flow on Saturday and Sunday. That seems to drive the action around here every Friday, including today, where the Dow lost 123 points, S&P sank 0.60%, Nasdaq couple 0.47%. I say that because we saw the power of genuine fear when J.P. Morgan and Citigroup reported fantastic earnings. Ah. House of pleasure. And the stocks rallied huge around the opening bell before getting clobbered and then staying down all day, closing off 2.71% and 1.5% respectively. I went over these quarters with a fine tooth comb today. I spent hours on them, kept looking for what was wrong, and there was nothing wrong. But it just didn't matter. Sellers came out of the woodwork all morning and then afternoon. I think these stocks will come roaring back in the ensuing weeks. But it was real nasty out there. The house of pain. And I think it was the weekend jitters driving down these stocks and a host of others, literally, from the first hour of trading. What a sell-off. Now, why is that? Because if there was only one bit of uncertainty emanating from the White House, the market could handle it, right? But consider this litany of instability. One. Will the president pull a Richard Nixon flashback and force out top people from the Justice Department if they won't fire Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller, thereby triggering a constitutional crisis? Two, will we launch missiles at Damascus and try to take out the Syrian regime after President Bashar al Assad once again gassed his own people? Three, will President Trump announce more trade sanctions against the Chinese maybe tomorrow? which will then retaliate against us on Sunday night, driving the futures down. This week, I told you the trade dispute isn't over, despite the alleged olive branch from the Chinese. It's really just getting started. So don't get all sanguine about it until Trump outright declares victory. And finally, number four, will former FBI director James Comey be able to rattle the president with allegations uh, 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 that Trump runs the country like a, a like a mafioso, when he discusses his new book about working with the president before being summarily fired. So even the best of earnings, and these have been with that city and J.P. Morgan, may not be enough to forestall an angry president who calls Comey, and I read this this morning, I like cringe, untruthful slimeball, and is ready to fire missiles at any moment. With that in mind, why don't we take a look at the earnings calendar, see what Washington is up against. If anything can overwhelm the tide of uncertainty coming from the White House, it's the very good companies we're going to hear from next week. What a titanic battle it's going to be. First on Monday morning, we get results from Bank of America. Fortunately, Bank of America is the largest deposit base in the country, which makes it the greatest beneficiary of these repeated rate hikes. Yet the stock's been knocked down ahead of the report, courtesy of the ridiculous action in the banks today. Maybe that's where the opportunity comes, but of course, because it's in the AM, you won't be able to seize it. Air to the closed Netflix reports and they better. I mean, they better deliver the blowout of all blowouts. After the upgrades and price target boosts that they've gotten in recent days, including a big upgrade just today, the now worldwide entertainment company has so many supporters on Wall Street that you think it would stop going higher after every reiteration or number bump. But the same thing happened last time around with Netflix, and the stock still flew when we saw the quarter. What can I say? It probably happens again. Oh, and I have memo to Reed Hastings, CEO of Netflix. And all you other CEOs who are watching, your institutional shareholders have convinced you into not splitting your stocks because the brokers buy the shares, right? And the brokers buy they charge commission by the share. So if you don't split, then you have to pay less commission. However, if you want a better, more solid base of retail shareholders – Please start splitting your stocks when they trade worth of 100 Netflix is at $311. And smaller investors, rightly or wrongly, I understand rightly or wrongly, because I know it doesn't increase value, but smaller investors regard your share prices as too expensive. And a stock split would help immeasurably to get more people involved in ownership. Always a good thing, because they tend to stay with the stock much longer than the institutional renters do. Three of my favorite companies report Tuesday morning. If they're down ahead of the earnings because of exogenous events, I think you might want to do some buying. Not that long ago, we talked to the CEO of United Health, and I think the story is a multi-year, not multi-month, or, of course, in this market, multi-day for the great health insurer. The company has an incredibly consistent track record of surprising Wall Street with good numbers because it's so darn well run. If you can get it in the teens where my Chapel trust did recently, I think that's a terrific price, and anything's possible in this market. Goldman Sachs puts up numbers, and again... I'm glad that these stocks are cooling off ahead of reports because the recent run in this stock, I am telling you, is unsustainable, judged by what happened today with the stocks at J.P. Morgan and Citi. Goldman does best when things are volatile, but that story is now well-known by everybody, which never helps. Hey, by then, we also have one of the steadiest drug companies in the business reporting, Johnson & Johnson. I bet it will talk pipeline and buyback and forecast increases. Don't forget, it's also a huge beneficiary of the weaker dollar, Alex Gorsky, CEO. Terrific. At to the close, we hear from IBM. Now, it's usually controversial, but have you noticed lately that this stock has been sneaking up? I keep hearing IBM's name now as one of the real cloud-playing hitters. That's good news for a company that really wasn't part of the conversation not that long ago. I think IBM is cheap, and if it's in the 150s before the quarter, buy some. Wednesday, believe it or not, has even more financial earnings. Boring us to tears? No, because it's going to be Morgan Stanley and American Express. I expect both to be very strong. With Morgan Stanley having excellent brokerage numbers, American Express showing good corporate growth. Again, I buy Morgan Stanley if it pulls back ahead of the number. Notice, I'm suggesting these buys because the weekend worries. Well, let's just say if something bad happens, the stocks will be down. And if something doesn't, doesn't happen, you'll get your chance. After the close, we hear from URI, United Rentals. Now, remember, yesterday I told you I prefer United Rentals to Caterpillar because it's mostly domestic and doesn't need to worry about sanctions from China. Alcoa reports, too, and boy, this will really be interesting. It'll be really political because the tariffs we put on dumping aluminum in this country seem to have already buoyed AA's earnings. Be ready for the president to crow about this win. And we might hear rhetoric about how trade barriers and duties are working better than anyone thought. Of course, that's not something that any of the international companies who need access to China will want to hear. Have raw costs jumped enough to make us being to be concerned and maybe not concerned enough right now about inflation? PPG can give us some great insights into chemical inflation, which has been pretty bad, frankly, on Thursday. And while I've always been partial to the stock unit that the important thing is they'll give us an excellent read on price increases at the wholesale level. Lately, the estimates for E-Trade have been ratcheted up, which is why it's been one of the best-performing financials. Have individual investors gotten more bullish about individual stocks? I don't know. You don't split them. You don't get that. But let's find out. Oh, boy, finally Friday. I mean, we're going to be so tired when we get there. But Friday, it's huge. Honeywell, General Electric, Procter & Gamble, j they all report before the open. What do we need to know? Okay, what do we want to hear? First, we want to hear from Honeywell about how it intends to break up the company in ways that will unlock value. I told club members of Plus.com in my conference call yesterday that they should be buyers of Honeywell on any weakness, given how motivated the new CEO, Darius Damchek, is about stock appreciation. Didn't have much weakness today. Maybe you get some Monday. We're hoping to hear that General Electric's John Flannery is ready to play offense and has a plan to keep the dividend as is without hurting the balance sheet and can actually raise some capital by selling assets or doing some joint venture spin-outs. Maybe even with the before mention, Honeywell. We also want to hear about long-term care costs beyond under control and unfunded pension plans benefiting from a higher short interest rate environment. Then there's Schlumberger. Last quarter, Schlumberger CEO Paul Kibsgard, who I just love, said oil would bottom. And was he ever right? But so far, we haven't seen the stock of slumberjay benefit from much from the bounce. I'm betting this will be the quarter where we get a good service forecast. Maybe he raises numbers. Last but not least, we have Procter & Gamble. This stock has been absolutely crushed by the wholesale disdain for the consumer packaged goods place right now in this market. I think there's way too much negativity here. So you do have my permission to be a buyer for the long term. Even at these prices. So here's the bottom line. We've got tons of earnings that I expect will be good, a real tailwind to the market. But you know what? The headwinds of Washington may be too much for even these, some of the best companies in the world, to overcome. Let's go to Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda! Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Rhonda. What's going on? Jim, change all around us. We are now a debtor nation, and we've got unfunded pension liabilities drowning us. Does the investing landscape for Cray-Americans change? Rhonda, I'm going to give you, to give you a little bullish ah. forecast here. The rise in short-term interest rates is helping us start funding these pension plans much better than we ever thought, and that's going to be one of the surprises of the quarter. So I think you're right to have the worries, but I think you'll be happily uh, surprised with how that issue was is going. How about we go to Ben in New York? Ben! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Ben. What's going on? So a while back, you had someone call in asking about universal display, OLED. Yeah. And O-L-E-D. you probably them to wait a while for it to, uh, to come down. And it's certainly come down, coming down from about $200 from this year's all-time high. Um, so I was just wondering, even though Apple is not going to be using it in their uh, devices anymore, according to reports, do you think it's worth speculating on OLED? No. As a matter of fact, I think if you want to, uh, why not just go buy Apple? I mean, the reason why you want to own Apple is because of Apple. You don't want to own Universal Display because of Apple. I've always been very simple in my thinking since my first stock buy in 1979. If something's good for Apple, buy Apple. Brian Indiana. Brian. Kramer, big truck driver. Booyah to you, sir. Man, good to have you on the show. What's going on? Hey, I got a question for you, and it's in two parts, and I'll make it quick. Uh, the question is concerning Knight Swift Transportation, KNX. Uh, given the merger that happened between these two back in August or September of last year, do you think this is a company worth buying into? And the second part is, do you feel that these trucking companies that are, you know, getting into battery-powered trucks and the autonomous trucks? Do you think this is going to be a dangerous yet catastrophic thing for the industry? Uh, well, I answer the first, the uh, second one first, no. As a matter of fact, it's going to be much safer, although no one really believes that. But it is true. I've seen the statistics. But I think you should be buying XPO. That is a better company, doesn't have a driver shortage, makes me, uh, it's a growth company, whether the economy's strong or not. Brad Jacobs doing a great job. I'm a buyer of his stock if you want to be in that area. Okay, I'm expecting good earnings next week, but that doesn't mean Washington won't stop the market from properly reacting. Well, man, buddy, tonight, I'm giving my take on one of the most controversial stocks in this market. I'll reveal the name when 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 I... Wow, and I got to tell you some battleground. Then with cybersecurity back in the headlines, I'm eyeing some under-the-radar names that you must write down. And one of them's a buy right here. And is Micron sending strong signals for potential earnings collapse? Don't make a move before hearing my take. And stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Thursday. I got a call from Elaine in Florida asking about Mimetics. That's M-D-X-G. She wanted to know if I'd recommend selling the stock because of recent accusations made by a cadre of vocal short sellers who've been circling this thing like vultures for months now. I got to tell you, we had Mimetics CEO on our show back in 2015, but a lot has happened since then. Mimetics has become one of the most controversial names in this entire stock market. Not only is it under attack by multiple high-profile short sellers, it's also being investigated by a couple of government agencies. In response, the company itself is fighting back, dedicating whole sections of its homepage to rebutting the accusations and actually taking legal action against some of the firms that have criticized it. Because i never like to give a totally off-the-cuff answer, I told Elaine that I'd get back to her after doing some more homework. Now, before we dive in, and uh, we got to look at this thing, memetics, as a lesson, frankly, on objectivity. This stock has become a teaching opportunity for me about how some stocks are really just too hard to make decisions about. Nothing wrong with that judgment, but first let me lay out both sides of the story and then give you my take. For those of you who don't know, Mimetics is a small cap biopharma company. It's all about regenerative biomaterials. Long story short, they take donated human placental tissue and turn it into skin grafts that are meant to help your body recover from all sorts of wounds caused by diabetes, trauma, surgical incisions, burns, even cancer. Your body can heal 60% faster with this stuff. The breakthrough here is that medics came up with a way to sterilize and preserve placental tissue so that it stays fresh for up to five years. But that's enough about human placenta. Why has the stock become so controversial? Okay. In the last two years, Memetics has come under fire from numerous high-profile short sellers, the three most notable being Viceroy Research, Aurelius Value, and Citron Research. The general consensus among the shorts who obtained some of their analysis from former employees is that the company has been channel stuffing. <laughs> where you count distributors as customers to inflate sales, overcharging clients for its products, which would be especially bad since most of these clients are government agencies, and then lying to its shareholders to cover up the whole darn thing. It's a pretty brutal indictment, right? If true, and we don't know. While the short sellers claim to have many insider documents and emails, Memetics is adamant that these documents are inaccurate. It seems clear that one side is lying, but we can't be sure which side. Here's the thing. In February, we learned that Memetics is under investigation by the Department of Justice a few days after the company postponed its fourth-quarter earnings report while the board looks into allegations about their sales and distribution patterns, some of which I just mentioned. The stock was trading around $15 before the news broke, but it plummeted to 6 bucks not long after, and as of today, it's still trading around 7 While the short sellers piled into the stock last year, they didn't seem to make much of an impact. In fact, the stock kept roaring to new highs. It was that $1, two punch, okay, of the postponed earnings and the Justice Department investigation that really crushed the stock. That's on top of multiple lawsuits from former employees and class action lawsuits from its shareholders. What's a little unusual about all this is the way Memetics has gone about defending itself. The company has been suing many of the negative research firms for libel. They set up an entire section on the website titled Short selling commentary, where they do their best to refute the allegations. If anything, some wondered maybe they perhaps tried a little too hard. Last year, when CEO Pete Petit started criticizing short sellers on his website, he called out Mark Cajotas, who's a well known short seller who tends to make a big splash going after near to well companies. The thing is, Cahotis had never said a word about memetics. But after being called out by the CEO, he started looking into it. And, 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 and what did you know? Uh, he really liked the short thesis. He liked it so much that he started his own website to publish his findings. He claims the company's sales are inflated by 70% and accuses management of kicking back to doctors through SGNA, That's Sales General and Administrative Expenses. Cohoda says he didn't start this fight. He probably never would have gotten involved if not for the preemptive attack from memetics. Again, I'm not saying he's right. But that's a self-inflicted wound, and it's got really, it's got really crazy when Gohoda showed up at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, the biggest health conference there is in January, and started asking management questions that they did not want to answer. Now it's important to note that this story didn't start with short sellers ganging up on the medics. It started in late 2016 with a lawsuit from a pair of former sales reps who claimed they were fired for blowing the whistle on the ch- on the company's channel stuffing fraud that I just talked about, or I should say alleged fraud. Memetics, on the other hand, says they were fired for moonlighting as sales reps for other companies. According to the lawsuit, at the end of each quarter, Memetics sends its products directly to VA hospitals, where the company's sales reps control the product directly, not to VA. So there might be $10 million worth of products sitting on shelves that nobody at the hospital purchased or requested. But according to the complaint, Memetics recognizes that $10 million as revenue. True, that's not so hot. Now, a, a few months later, the company conducted its own internal audit where it concluded that that's not true. As of last September, Remedics announced that one of the former employees who filed that whistleblower suit had retracted his allegations. Then the company started pursuing the short sellers. Things started looking bad again in February. The Wall Street Journal's Gretchen Morgenson reported that the company hadn't disclosed payments it had made to 20 different doctors. But Medic says it's not required to do so. In fact, the company's website claims they received an opinion from the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services that they don't have to disclose these payments. But according to the Medicare authorities, the agency doesn't give individual determinations. At which point, C.O.P. Petit told Morganson to talk to his lawyers. Well, I don't know, that's not exactly what you want to hear. A week later, Bloomberg reported that the Justice Department was probing the company's distribution practices. Ouch. The medics claim they are not aware of any such investigation. But then a month ago, they became aware when the Justice Department informed them that they are. Indeed, under investigation, yes, that's right. They are under investigation, and they also received a subpoena from the SEC. Look, it's all very he said, she said to me. I don't want to take a position on which side is right. But one thing is undeniable. Mimetics has become what I call a battleground stock. And Hero Man Money, we have learned one thing, to stay the heck away from battlegrounds. Sure, if the bulls are right, you could double your money, but if the short sellers are right, maybe you lose it all. I'm just not comfortable taking that kind of risk. There are easier ways to make money than going long or short, something that's this controversial, it's way too binary. I'd rather play roulette, but not Russian roulette. The bottom line, as long as a company like Wimmedics is caught between the short sellers and a federal investigation, to me, I think it's not worth the risk. I don't want to tell you what to do, though. You can make your own determination. But if it were me, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night taking either side of this particular trade. Much more have money ahead. With cybersecurity concerns back in the headlines, I'm ranking some under-the-radar players in this space to help you make money off the trend. Write them down. You'll like one of them. Then you might not want to hear it. But I'm firing a warning shot on semiconductor play. My cry. So take off the earmuffs and listen up. And with angry Trump tweets making headlines today, does your portfolio have what it takes to survive the unknowns? Let me be the judge when we play M.I. Diversified. So stick with Kramer. (laughs) Lately, the cybersecurity space has been on fire. And you can understand why. Within the past month, we've learned of three high profile cyber attacks at major companies. And whenever that happens, it tends to translate into more spending on digital security. The problems here are endless. And as long as hackers keep trying to steal data, the cybersecurity providers will be in high demand from corporate America. Bye, 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 bye. Two weeks ago, Under Armour disclosed a data security issue at MyFitnessPal, the company's food and nutrition app, with some hacker getting his hands on the usernames email addresses, and passwords of 150 million people. Fortunately, no credit cards, but this is the kind of routine data breach that companies need to defend against because it's a real hassle for their customers to change all of this stuff. The day before that, Boeing said that one of its factories was hit by a cyber attack using the same ransomware virus that hit thousands of companies and computer systems last year. That's where hackers take your data hostage until you pay them to restore access. Looks like it was North Korea. On April 1st, we learned that Hudson's Bay, the parent of Saks Fifth Avenue and Lord & Taylor, have been compromised by sophisticated cyber criminals who gained access to the financial data of millions of customers. Not good. The thing is, as long as these intrusions keep coming, cybersecurity is going to be a very attractive business. And I don't know, how could, it's not going to stop. I mean, presumably, if you live in, say, uh, North Korea, being a hacker is a pretty good career option. Now, regular viewers are already familiar with the big boys in the space. Companies like Proofpoint, Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet, CyberArk, and even the ones trouble FireEye. These stocks have been soaring. Ah. Proofpoint up 37% year-to-date, Palo Alto up 29%, Fortinet up 28%, FireEye up 32 CyberArk up 25%. In a difficult market, these stocks have thrived. But tonight, tonight, I, I want to tell you. I want to tell you about the newer, more under the radar cybersecurity stocks that have been heating up late. Companies like Forescout, Okta, and Zscaler. And you should write these down because these are the stocks that are going to become the next Palo Alto's and the next Proof Points. They're going to be the next Fire Eyes, okay? Let's start with Fourscout. This is a small $1.3 billion company that helps businesses and government agencies with what they call an agentless approach to network security. Basically, these guys help their clients monitor all of the devices connected to their networks, including everything you can imagine from the Internet of Things. The more smart devices get rolled out, the more we need something like Forescale. Rather than installing software designed for each device, these guys can watch the whole network to prevent breaches. Okay, now, Forescale came public just last October, $22. Since then, it's surged to about 33 as of today. Most of these gains came on the heels of the company's first two earnings reports as a public company. They have now blown away the numbers twice in a row, with management indicating that their business is seeing consistent strength across the board. What really intrigues me about this one, and I am intrigued because I like this, is that Scout recently received validation from the Department of Defense for some of its products, meaning they can sell to more sensitive parts of the U.S. military. That came right on the heels of a couple of contracts with the DOD to help secure the data from connected devices and improve the Pentagon's response time when dealing with hackers. Hey, if it's good enough for the Pentagon, frankly, it's good enough for me. Plus, those government contracts tend to be pretty lucrative. Last month, Forscout conducted an early secondary, a small one, 4.41 million shares, mostly to help some of its insiders and early investors ring the register or after the IPO. And you know what? I totally buy that. After that gigantic run, it seems fair to me. Normally I really hate it when companies break the IPO lockups early, but this deal is well received. Price of 29, stock hasn't closed below 30 since the offering. <laughs> However, while I still like this story, this gets to my one reservation. Four Scouts IPO lockup expires in less than two weeks on the 25th. Usually when that happens, we see a tremendous sell, amount sell, sell, sell. of selling. So if you want to buy this one, please, please, please wait for the lockup expiration to give you a better entry point. Four Scout reports again on May 10th, so hopefully you'll have a couple of weeks to pick it up into the weakness ahead of what I expect will be a very good quarter. Next up, there's Okta OKTA, which came public uh, roughly a year ago, although it wasn't until this January that stock really took off. Now, OKTA is all about identity management and authentication. Their software ensures that your login and verification credentials remain secure via what's known as multi-factor authentication. Something like 81% of all data breaches involve stolen credentials or weak credentials that are easily guessed the idea here is that Okta's cloud-based p- platform is taking tons of market share from existing authentication pro- uh, platforms. Now, Okta's it, 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 it got a real nice pop after it came public last April. But the stock didn't quite catch fire until earlier this year. Just over the course of 2018, it has run from $25 to $40. The reason? Octus reported four better-than-expected quarters in a row. I told you this sector is so hot. But it was the last one that really blew people away. They pre-announced stronger than expected results in February. That's when Okta reported the full results in early March. The numbers were much, much better than than even the most positive pre-announcement, and it's huge. The company got 33% revenue growth. It's winning tons of new business left and right. And Mattress guidance was absolutely stellar. I like this story. My only hesitation here is Okta's recent run. But when you consider that this move has happened in the face of some major selling by the company's venture capital backers, I think it's absolutely worth putting on your shopping list so you can buy some into the next major market-wide pullback. And you know what? That's no longer just some sort of idle talk. We get these pullbacks all the time. Write down Okta. This is a good one. And finally, there's Zscaler. This one just came public a little less than a month ago. Buyers were practically salivating over this IPO. The deal was expected to be priced between 10 and 12 bucks. Instead, it ended up pricing at 16 bucks. Then the stock opened at 27.50 on the first day of trading, close to 33 bucks. I told you, hot as a pistol. Give me more than a double if you got a piece of the deal, which was very hard to get. Why was it so hot? Well, Zscaler is a provider of cloud security applications. Yeah, cybersecurity for the cloud that's infinitely scalable. No wonder there was so much excitement. Since then, though, the stock has pulled back. The very next day after the IPO, it lost 15% of its value. It's now trading at 27 change. The thing is, Zscaler is a compelling story. It's been winning some big government authorizations. And last week, we learned that Cisco may have tried to buy the company before it came public. It's obviously worth something. But based on reports, Cisco wanted to pay the equivalent of $17 a share. Well, that's 40% less than where it's trading now. Problem is, this stock is very expensive. Uh, even by the standards of its pricey peers, Zscaler traded 14 times next year's not earnings, but sales, Four Scouts sells at four times sales. Okta sells at nine times. Okay? So where do I come out here? Look, Okta and Zscaler, they are both growing rapidly plus 30% and plus 40% respectively. But I can't recommend a stock that's trading at such high levels. Forcegate is the only one with a reasonable value at this very moment. It's trading in line with more established cybersecurity players that have little in the way of profits, like FireEye, like CyberArk, which trade at four and five times sales, even though it has a much faster growth rate, so it's more attractive. The bottom line, we've got some very exciting emerging cybersecurity stories here. But as intriguing as Octon Zscaler may be, They still need to grow into their valuations. You want a sexy, small-scale, small-cap cybersecurity play? May I suggest you go with 4 Scout. Let's take questions. Let's go to Blake in Nebraska. Blake. Hey, Jim. First off, thank you for all you do for young investors like myself. Man, I love young investors. Get in early, get a little bit more uh, speculation. Longer-term riskier stocks. That's what I want. How can I help? My question for you today is with all of the recent news and questions regarding data safety from companies like Equifax and Facebook. Yes. What are your thoughts on the companies responsible for credit and debit card transaction services, specifically Global Payments Inc., ticker symbol GPN? And the future outlook of the company with all these data. We have huge, huge, huge backing <sighs> here. GPM. We've been recommending this. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't think. I think we were the first on this stock, and it's been a marvelous stock. It's only up about nine percent this year, but global payments is sensational. Remember, we like Mastercard, and we also like Visa. They are all good. It's a great place to be. Cybersecurity is on fire. Sure, there's plenty of big winners in the space, but if you want a new under the radar name, write this down. Take a look at. Four Scout, that's where Money head It's not your typical cult stock, but Micron's got a real following of folks who do not want to hear why it might go down. I say that it's high time to face the facts. Plus, do your stocks have what it takes to survive the unknowns in this market? I'll be the judge of that we play FI Diversified, And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. These days, we are dealing with a whole new beast of a market. There's a heck of a lot of uncertainty. Could Washington pull down Wall Street? It's a possibility. Sure, we may get some tailwinds from earnings, but it may not be strong enough to offset the pressure out of T.C. In times like this of uncertainty and questions, there's always something that we can fall back on, and that's diversification. I stress this concept so often, but it is that important, right? So without further ado, Let's get to work on a round of Am I Diversified, which we haven't played recently. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, and I'll tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough. Maybe you need to mix it up a little. Why don't we start with a tweet from J.D. Hogston at TPC Bassman, who says, at Jim Cramer, TPC, MFLX, slash Mad Tweets, Am I diversified? Okay, we got to think about this. Got to think about this. Got to think about this. <sighs> okay. Um. Got a. All right. Well, we don't really have the perfect symbols there, but we'll go. We'll go over here. Okay, we've got uh, Dominoes, which is we know which stock has been incredibly hot, which is food. Uh, what's called restaurant takeout. United Health Group, one of my absolute favorites. Actually, name. Micron, very very controversial. Uh, uh, semiconductor company. Netflix, we'll call that entertainment, and we'll call Alphabet Search. So we got search, which is tech. We got we have uh, restaurant, we have healthcare, we've got semi, and we've got entertainment. And I am blessing that as a great way to play. All right, let's go to uh, another tweet from Matt Zadar at ZDAR281, who says, at Mad Money on CBC, at Jim Kramer, love the show. Thanks for all the info. Here are my t- five top stocks Nucor, Intel, JP Morgan, Raytheon, and Netflix. Okay, this is good. Intel is tech. J.P. Morgan is bank. Uh, Actionalhorrorsplus.com name, same with Nucor and Raytheon. Raytheon is defense. Nucor is steel. And Netflix is entertainment. Netflix is very popular. Reports money after the close. So we have a semi. We have military. Let's call it defense. We have bank. We have steel. And we have entertainment. That is perfect. How about Betsy in California? Betsy. Hey, Jim. Betsy. Uh, Betsy in California, 77 miles south from where a man slept in his car under a bridge. All right. Well, yeah, yeah it's not all done in fair weather. Let's put it that way. How can I help? <laughs> uh, first stock is Boeing. First in war, first in peace. Second is Helmrich and Payne. Not only my favorite in the energy space, but Dan Dickers. Let, next one is Fiat Chrysler. Um, next one is lamb research. It's going to go in like a lion and out like a lamb on earnings Tuesday. Last one, Jim, you and I have a disagreement on, and it's still dynamics. I compared the returns for one, three, and five years to Nucor, and mine's better. Love you, Jim, and thank you so much for all of your help and guidance. <laughs> Betsy, thank you so much. Although you cut me in quick on the Nucor versus Steel Dynamics? I like that kind of tension. All right, Helmer & is one of the best drilling uh, companies there is. Boy, everyone wrote that stock off when it was uh, much lower, except for the company. They actually raised the dividend. Uh, Boeing Aerospace Defense, Fiat Chrysler Auto, but best performer, Steel Dynamics. We just heard me just get uh, slapped down on the Nucor. And Lamb Research indeed does. That's Martin Ansis reports this week. I think he's going to deliver a good number. I don't know if the market will like it. Semiconductor equipment, steel, oil service, auto, uh, aerospace. That, again, is perfect. And, yes, that was a nice bridge that I slept under. Mad Money is back after the break. The iPhone is the best consumer product ever. Every time we raise the value for our shareholder, we raise value for our people. There's something about our stories that really transcends time in so many ways. Mad Money. Invest in what matters. It is time. It's time for the light round. And then the light round over. Are you ready, skate daddy? It's time for the light round. crazy start with Nolan in Arizona. Nolan. Wow, I like Thank that. Thank you for everything. FMC. Uh, I like the way that FMC's bottoming here. I think he can come back. I know it's not a rough flat. I think at this level, it's good. Let's go to Esther in New Jersey. Esther. e e i. OK, well, we re- recently had them on. I thought it was Prince Edward Island. No, it's Pennsylvania. It, uh, it's a REIT. And I think the REIT is darn cheap. And I think that they pretty much proved that they can pay that dividend. So I'm going to go bullish ah! and say you can own it. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex. Boo, Mr. Kramer. Yo, man, I like that with a little sing on there. Go ahead. Tomorrow. What do you think? What's the stock? O-C-L-R. No, I don't like anything optical right now. I mean, nothing optical. I, the closest I want to come to buying something in that space would be Cisco CSCO. Let's go to Down, California. Daryl. Big West Coast homebrew booyah, Jim. Oh, man, there we go. We need that on the show. How can I help? I'm a recent retiree, and I'm looking for some income. I came across this financial. It has a big divin- dividend, but I'm a little suspicious. I want really to get your take on Alliance, Bernstein, ticker A-B. Hmm, 12% yield. You know what? I think you're right to be suspicious. I'm going to throw the red flag. I'm going to come back and do some homework. I happen to know the company. The company's great, but that does seem too outsized to me. Let's go to Natalie in Colorado. Natalie. Love your energy. My questions on the future of the 3D printing industry, specifically Stratasys, SSYS. I've held it a while, it has not performed well, and I'm thinking I should give up on it, it's probably and, and your thoughts are right, because what you want to do with 3D printing is be an HPQ, which has the best technology. That's what I want you to do. I'm going to Jimmy in New York. Jimmy. Hi, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. WPG, what's your opinion? Oh man, it seems so risky to me. You know what? I just you know too risky. Again, one of those that I think that the wheat, re- the yield. Oh, here I go with my red flag, and is a red flag, and that's how I'm going to handle. It. I'm going to Kim in California. Kim. Hi, this is Kim from California, and I've been uh, reading up on uh, EPAM as a potential long-term investment. I want to know what you think about EPAM. Okay, EPAM, I got to do more studying because there's another of these outsourcing software development plays that happens to be right around the corner from where I grew up. But I, you deserve more of an answer than that, so I'm going to do some studying. I go to Dick in Virginia, Dick. Hey, Jim, thank you for taking my call. All right, what's up? Well, I was just wanted to know your take on bb Well, bb is going to report next week. Now, one of the things we've learned about these banks today is that, that people just have decided that none of them are any good. But we know Kelly King. He's come on the show quite a bit. And the story, I think, will be a good one. But there's no sense buying a bank ahead of it unless the stock has come down enough. And that stock is still not down enough from its high. I need to go to Derek in Texas. Derek. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. And a big booyah to you from Austin, Texas. Done. Done. Just wondering, uh, real quick, your thoughts about Select Medical, SEM, yeah. buy, uh, sell, hold. What do you think? No, it's very good, very good hospital chain. But you know what? When I'm in that business, I always say go with the best, oh, and the best God. is HCA. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs> Hey, Jim, bringing you a big boobie Thanks for being a fantastic guiding light on the market over the years. Oh, man, I sure good. tried. Like it when I talk birdie to you? All oh, plays are terrific. Oh, come on. Hey, Jim, what's up? You're a living legend in your industry, and thanks for all the years of education. Thank you. It would normally mean a red flag. Lazarus, again. Lazarus being, you know, rose up from the dead. You can Google it. Putting a bunch of geriatric legislators in charge of social media is like, kind of like, I don't know, um, putting a chimp in charge of the space program? We've been talking battleground stocks tonight. And one of the most controversial equities out there in tech is Micron. After all, when a 7 stock sells at less than five times earnings, you're thinking it represents a tremendous bargain. How could it not? Anytime I express any concern about the stock of Micron, I know I'm going to get blasted for it on Twitter because it's so cheap and because, bizarrely, it's become a cult stock, one that goes up and up and up until it stops, and then it gets ugly real fast. Now, I've followed Micron for 25 years, and I've done a lot of contextual analysis of the stock. I know that it's at its most vulnerable when it sells at its lowest price during its multiple. Why? Because that's a signal. That could be the market telling you. could be that Micron's much more expensive than it appears, as those earnings estimates its times or its up against won't be reached. Suppose they turn out to be 50% lower than expected. Well, that means Micron's stock is actually selling for 10 times or not 5. Can the market be wrong? Of course it can. Micron's had a low multiple and routinely ratcheted numbers for ages, and the stock has soared as the price of its main product, ZRAMs, has defied gravity. Demand is off the charts for personal computers, for workstations, notebooks, and data centers. Great for Micron. Plus, these are now more complex chips, which makes the process of adding new supply take a lot longer and cost a lot more money. And supply is being outstripped by rapacious customer demand. Micron has a second business, Flash Memory, which at one point was as tighter tighter than DRAMs, but that's no longer the case. There's excess inventory in the channel, and that pricing has not been able to hold up. There's a lot of suspicion that the same thing just might happen with DRAMs, but so far it hasn't. And the two cycles are very much separate. Now, here's the deal. I don't want Micron, the stock, to go down. I don't. I want it to go up. You might own it. So many people on Twitter think I want it to go down. I don't. I'm simply warning people that it might not be as cheap as it looks. I say the same thing about Facebook, which appears to have very low multiple next year's earnings, uh, nearly 19 times those numbers, which is insanely cheap relative to its 40% growth rate. But if the numbers come down, the stock will be more expensive. Everyone seems to understand that's a possibility of Facebook. So it is a little odd that so many people have trouble grasping the same concept when applied to a micron. So what do I care? I mean, why am I so wary? What happened? Bethlehem Steel, that's why. Bessie, as we traders all called it back then, was at one time the second biggest steel producer in this country. But it ran into trouble in the 1990s with too much debt, wrong products, overpaid workforce, and a lack of demand for its merchandise. None of that was evident, though, in the late 80s when the company was coining money at a ferocious pace. In fact, there was a moment. When Bethlehem Steel's profitability was so rising so fast, so strong, that it looked like the stock was selling it just two times the next year's earnings estimates. Two. Two times. Some of the most important steel analysts were telling me, listen, you simply had to buy it. I mean, what could go wrong with a stock selling at twice the two times earnings? Well, it turns out a lot. In reality, not only were the estimates way, 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 way too high, but in two years, Bethlehem Steel was actually losing money. That's right, losing money. The big boom in earnings, it never occurred as the dollar got too strong. Other countries started dumping steel into America to meet our demand. And many of the big infrastructure and shipbuilding contracts really never came through. Bessie, a high-cost producer to begin with, was eviscerated by dumping. And while it held on for another decade, it had only ceased to exist. Its biggest foundry, ultimately becoming a casino, literally. Now, you may hate me for being worried about a low-multiple semiconductor stock that might or might not be able to make the numbers. But don't hate me for my knowledge base. Micron's a much better company than Bessie ever was. I'm not even arguing. That's not the point. All I'm concerned about, all I'm trying to do is teach people the fallacy of the idea that stocks are always a good value when they have a low price earnings multiple. That's not true. As an excessively low multiple often signals an imminent earnings collapse or represents a real value trap. And while I hope DRAM prices stay strong, and I hope flash memory prices can rise back up, I mainly just don't want anyone who watches this show to lose money. That's my only dog in this whole Micron hunt. Stick with me. about J.P. Morgan for a second. Every time this company's reported lately, it sells off. And then take a look where it ends up in the next three months. I think the same thing's going to happen again. If you get some J.P. Morgan say, at, at you know, let's say 3 $4 below here, I think you're going to really be happy. I like to say this always, a bull market So time. I promise i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday!